Hi, everybody. Welcome to Pivot and Thrive. This is your host, Kim Shea, and today is Friday, February 12th, 2021, first day of Chinese New Year, actually. And I am very fortunate today to be able to talk to somebody who is a friend, and I've also worked with her, and she's just an amazing human being, one of the busiest people I've ever known. Her name is Carolyn Reinmiller, and she runs Carolyn B. Reinmiller Public Relations, and she is almost like a couple weeks away from reaching her 39th year doing this profession. And she goes at it with so much zest and, and she's a caregiver and she's just so busy and so willing to help so many people and she hasn't retired. So uh, welcome, Carolyn. Thank you, Kim. It's so nice to be here. Yeah. Carolyn, tell me about your background. Like where did, where you come from? I was born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska and had um, a brother and a sister um, growing up. And um, what else would you like to know? <laughs> like, how did you get into public relations? What drew you to it in the first place? Oh, my gosh, that's an incredible story. Um, I had been working in, well, actually, when I went to school, I had a teaching degree. But I decided after I got out of school, I really wanted to teach in college and college wasn't, the colleges weren't really accepting professors at the time. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'll have to pay for another three years of school. So I went into corporate training. And from there, I um, was on the road, the youngest person that this company had ever put on the road. And I was traveling all the time. I had no life. So I decided to come home and go to work for a major architectural firm in Omaha, where I managed to do several different jobs and just worked my way up to director of business development for the company. And from there, I met my husband, who was also an architect. And we moved. By the time we got married, I had started a subsidiary of the company that predicted the outcome of bond elections for the architectural firm, because so many times we would produce and create plans for schools or hospitals or whatever it was, and they would fail at the bond issue. And we would never know why they failed. So my job was to try to tell them ahead of time, why will this pass or why will this not pass as far as the design? So I had run, I was actually running that company and I had an 80 hour a week job traveling all over the place. So when we moved to California, I decided I just wanted a job, nothing Exciting, just a job. <laughs> so I went to work. I went to work for a interior design, one very large interior design firm in Los Angeles as the executive secretary to or executive assistant to the president. But the problem was that it became very clear after about the first month or so that I was very underemployed and I knew exactly what he needed to do. I had done so much of the work he was doing as far as business development that I would hand him what he needed when he came to ask me. He, he didn't have to wait for it. I already had it done. So one day he was gone on a trip and the Los Angeles Times called up and said, we really want to do an article about the job you just did, the building you just did for Warner Brothers. And I went, Great. What do you need to know? Well, we need pictures. We need all those sources. We need to know how the design came about, what you did. And I said, great. So I ended up putting all that together and it came out as a two page spread in the Los Angeles Times. So I left it on his desk 
And when he came back, he said, he picked it up and he went, Oh my gosh, can you do this again? <laughs> and I went, well, sure, anytime. <laughs> but he also didn't want to lose me as his executive assistant. So I ended up having an 80 hour a week job again because I was doing two different things. So when uh, my husband was opening um, offices for a new construction management company all over the state, and when he was transferred to San Diego to open an office here, the president of the company said, why don't you just take the PR part and open your own firm and do the PR part and I will help you grow it. And hence 1982, Carolyn B. Run Miller was public relations was born. And I've been doing that ever since. And I actually worked with that interior design firm for over 25 years. Wow. Um, until the 2007, 2008 recession, um, they were my client for almost 25 years. And in the meantime, I also had gained other clients who also were long-term, more than 15-year clients that I worked with. And uh, it was fascinating. It was working with Fortune 500 companies, Fortune 50 companies, um, talking about the work that they did, the, the work that the interior design firm did with uh, design and construction and planning out spaces and how they came about and how buildings came about and exactly how these great designs developed and working with great architectural photographers all over the country and also working with uh, just great um, architects and the, the, the really the cream of the crop of architects at the time, which very famous people who, we're coming up and building buildings and we were designing spaces inside their great building. So how has the industry changed for you the way that you've done PR over almost 40 years? That's got to be some differences there. A lot of differences. When I first started, PR companies and people like myself, we worked basically with the chief executive officer or the president of companies and we we helped them to devise plans and to put together uh, a, an attack or a not an attack, but a, a plan of attack on how to talk about the company. And generally speaking, we did just one thing, and that was PR. And the message was just relatable to PR. And in about 1999 or 2000, I realized that the message could get very bifurcated or it could get very um, diluted unless everything that the company did said the same thing. So it had to be the same message in marketing. It had to be the same message in advertising. It had to be the same message in their promotional materials and whatever they were doing. Same colors, same um identifiable brand. And I started realizing that I needed to be, I needed to have a hand in all of those things in order to keep the message the same. So that's when I first started doing uh, or branching out into advertising and into marketing and into creating uh, brochures. And I had been doing that for my, my interior design and other construction Companies, I had been developing those things, but not on an, on an official basis. And so I just decided that I needed to add all of that to my repertoire of services because then I could guarantee that the message was the same. And so 
that helped immensely. But then as we inched towards the 2006, 2007, really great recession, many of those companies that I was working with suffered such great losses. The architectural field lost 35% of the field at the time. And there were 200 or more shelter magazines in the United States at that point. And when that great recession hit, probably a hundred of them, more than a hundred closed their doors. Some of them. What's a shelter magazine? A shelter magazine is like house, beautiful interior design, um, Southern living, Southern accents. Um, uh, There were dozens of them interiors those magazines, some of them had been around for almost a hundred years. And I had been working with many, many, many of them. I knew many of the editors and they just couldn't continue because there wasn't enough, there weren't enough advertising pages to keep them going. So literally magazines that had been around as American standards for years went out of business. And that meant that there were smaller and smaller numbers of pages to publish work by the architects and other people. Not only that, but when I first started in the business, all the color work and all of the printing of magazines occurred in Asia and in Japan because they had a much better color system than the United States. And so so as we caught up and things got better, they could start to print the magazines in the United States. And so that at least helped a little bit because things were printed here. The other problem, though, was that we, we became a global society. So not only could companies in America submit their work, but so could architectural firms, interior design firms, construction companies all over the world submit their work. And so that meant there were far more people submitting to far less pages of magazines. So it became very competitive to try to get any work published. It had to be exceptional to get it published. So that also did not help the industry or my, my particular niche because there were just, there was just not enough work to go around. And certainly companies were trying to downsize at the time. They didn't care how they downsized. They just wanted to get out of their bigger leases and their bigger spaces and go into smaller spaces. And a lot of them just moved without even having any plan as to how they were going to do that because they simply needed to get out from underneath their leases. So the the whole industry went downhill and it, it has recovered some, but not like it was in the nineties and the eighties. It, it, it isn't quite the same. So my industry then changed or my own company changed in that I suddenly discovered I needed to reinvent myself completely because the, comp- the the clients I had had for 25, 15, 25 years went away. I mean, one company went from 150 people to four during that recession. And that happened to a lot of them. Others closed their doors and even moved out of the country, actually. So I found myself literally having to rebuild and sort of start from scratch to figure out how I was going to go forward. So it was either give up or really put everything into it to restart. 
And that's what I did. So now I'm a generalist. I can work with any company and I work with a lot of lawyers and um, um, all different kinds of companies to help um, build their business and help to plan a way to get the public to be aware of or make the public aware of what they do and how they do it. Well, the thing about you, Carolyn, it strikes me as interesting too, is that, well, first of all, you haven't retired and um, I don't know your age, but I, I think from talking to you, I've gathered that you certainly are old enough to retire should you wish to, but you stayed very relevant. Like, you know, so much about the technological aspects of PR that I don't know about um, details about how a, a, a website has to be structured so that it's getting you know recognition from Google so that the SEO is improved and things like that. You, you stayed so relevant in everything, and I guess you would have to to be competitive. But um, is that yes? I mean, websites weren't even a thing when I started. Oh. Nobody had a website. Yeah. Nobody had email. Everything was word of mouth. We call it WOM, W-O-M, word of mouth. And so you really had to depend, depend on who you knew. So I knew a lot of people in the industry and I worked with a lot of people in the industry and word of mouth spread to help me build my business. There was no such thing as Google. There was no such thing as SEO. There were, there was no such thing as Facebook or any of that or in, or uh, LinkedIn. So that all became something I had to learn. I had to be self, I had to self teach myself, okay, what happens, you know, what happens if I help build a website or if I write a website? Is there a way that's better to write a website than other ways? And I soon learned that, yes, you had to have keywords, you had to have SEO, you had to have SEO PR, we call it, where you're actually talking about the words relatable to the business so that those words are found online when people go to search. So you had to know what those keywords were. The other thing that also has happened is that we've had to become lawyers in and of ourselves almost. We've had to know what the laws are as far as privacy, as far as how you can do email blasts, as far as what you can and cannot say that may be later seen as libel and all kinds of other things. So we had to be, I had to become very aware of what laws were regulating the industry for my clients. And there were times when I had to tell my clients, I can't do that. I, I can't lie. I have never been sued. I've never been neither. None of my clients have ever been sued in my 40 year career for anything. And it's because I was extremely careful and extremely conscientious about educating myself as to what the laws were. And now it's become even more important to know what those laws are and the, the, to a certain extent, the C-suite at the top of many companies got desperate enough, especially during the Great Recession, that it became the PR company's position to be the conscience of the company and say, no, we can't do that. No, you can't say that. No, I am not going to personally say that because I know it's not true or I'm not going to print an untruth because it helps your company. I can't do it. And you shouldn't do it either because you're going to put yourself out there for a lawsuit. So it became a much more cautious, a much more cautious and careful business after that. 
That's very interesting. That's quite a change. Yeah. 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 Do you still yeah. enjoy doing it? Is that why you do it? I do. I I love helping startups to develop their companies and watch them grow and watch them gain um, more business. And I even love helping companies that have been around for a while but have never realized the importance of public relations and even advertising and what their message should be and watching those companies continue to grow and increase their bottom line but also be able to employ other people so that people are other people are getting jobs and we're creating jobs and we're creating growth in the GDP and growth in the company itself but also in the country we're providing jobs that are desperately needed so Doing PR, I mean, most companies think, oh, I don't need that. But you do because it helps you and it helps other people and it helps grow the ability for other people to be employed and to be, you know, earn a decent living. So it's all tied together. <laughs> that's that's pretty neat. I mean, it's, it's neat. You have, I mean, you've you've evolved with it, which is really interesting. And I guess if you don't, then you don't last in any kind of a career, if you don't learn to evolve, you're kind of sunk. So do you see yourself yeah. doing this for the rest of your life? Do you have a retirement goal in mind? I do see myself doing this for the rest of my life. Um, I don't necessarily have a retirement date in mind, although COVID didn't help things. <laughs> but but um, I don't think it helped anybody. No, it did not. Um, but <laughs> no, it certainly didn't. But um I plan to keep doing this as long as I can. I um, have some other personal things that are going on. Uh, my husband is um, handicapped and has Parkinson's, and so I'm his caregiver. And as long as I can continue to work and um, reasonably make sure he's safe and he's okay and his care and his his health are not lacking in any way, um, I plan to keep doing it. It'll just depend on how much he needs me and how much going for going forward I need to devote to his care. Yeah, you um, you're a busy person. I know you're always always going to fill your time. So, um, and you also you give a lot of your time too to other people. Like I mean, I've met you through the Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce, and you're always you're always involved. You're always helping. You're on committees you're always trying to help more people. Yes. I, I volunteer in a lot of different places. If I ever retire, I will never fully ever retire because I've already got volunteer things in place and uh, things that I can do that will just smoothly transition into a uh, retirement quote unquote. I work a lot for my church. I'm a major fundraiser for my uh, parish here, I um, I do serve on a lot of com committees for the Carlsbad Chamber. I co-chair a couple. I also am uh, involved with an orphanage in Takati, Mexico, with fundraising and helping them to um, improve their message of why they want to serve the orphanage, why we're trying to build a new building there to help protect the children, especially the girls, for for many, many years, in fact, most of the time in Mexico, girls were ignored and simply not ever protected. 
and they it has become a source now of human trafficking between the United States and Mexico. And those children are now, especially with COVID, it's gotten even worse where many of them are put into slave labor and put into human trafficking for um, the personal game of the traffickers. And so we really have a desperate need to build buildings where the orphanage can absorb more children. And so we're hoping to house 50 girls there, 50 young girls there when we get done. And then I also work with an international organization called the PEO Sisterhood, which has been around for 151 years. I am a 50-year member. My family's been involved for 99 years, I think it is now. And um, we are an organization that promotes education for women. And we have given away over the course of the last almost 100 years, since 1907, $366 million to help 144,000, I think it is, women to further their education through loans, scholarships, grants, and all kinds of other ways of helping women to really realize their potential. So I do a lot of work with fundraising for them and serving as office an officer and yeah. Do you sleep? I'm just curious. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Every once in a while. <laughs> Every third Thursday. Gosh, you're yeah. so busy. You're amazing. How'd you get involved with the orphanage? Um, it was through a parish priest at our church, and he was really um, struggling. I mean, I had supported it financially for a while, for a long time, but then they were struggling to try to get a message out, and they were using the wrong message. They were talking about keeping families together in Mexico and et cetera, et cetera. And I, and they were struggling to, to make the financial part work and the fundraising work. And I finally, he invited the parish priest invited me to a meeting and it was all men and they were all older. And I said to them, you know, your real message here is that you're trying to protect these children. Not only are you trying to keep, families together so they're they're close to any relatives they might have but the real issue here is that you're trying to protect them from human trafficking and they looked at me like what what and i said it's an 810 million dollar business in the county of san diego we are one of the worst counties in the country for human trafficking and if we don't protect those children on both children on both sides of the border but especially on that side of the border they become, they're lost. And they were talking about, father originally had talked about, well, let's teach them to cook and sew. And I went, father, that is not going to get them out of their poverty cycle. You need to give them an education and you need to provide them with a good education and instill that in those, in the sisters that are helping the children and in the children themselves that where they're reaches and where their goal should be is getting a good education so they can get out of their level and their their cycle of poverty that they're in. And from there, I kind of got, it went on and it kind of built from there. It sounds like you were so, very needed to bring a yes, bigger picture yes, of reality. Because, yes, they're, they're, they were shocked. They were all shocked. And that, no, you that can't be right. <laughs> yeah, it is right. Oh. <laughs> So afterwards, a whole new website, a whole new redesign, a whole new, all new social media, all new uh, direct mail campaigns. And 
we are almost at our goal for what we need to start the building. That's great. Um, what in the show notes, um, which if you're listening, you can always find those. Um, there's usually a little tiny arrow you can click to go down to the show notes when you go to wherever you're listening to this. Like if you're on Apple Podcasts, you can click and it'll open up the notes uh, that I've written. And there will be links in there too. And so I'd like to include the link to that project so that if people would like to donate to it. Okay. It's called Outreach for Nazareth Orphanage. And the website is www.ofno.org. And there is a, a clear way to give on the website. In fact, up in the upper left-hand corner of the homepage, or sorry, right-hand corner of the homepage, there's a give button and you can donate through okay. there. And we also go to the orphanage um, and do repair work and we do wow. painting and we'll help with cleaning up the weeds and uh, we bring gifts to the children uh, once a year. So um, that's also on there. You can volunteer if you would like, and there's a way to do that on the website. We haven't been able to go through COVID. We haven't gone this whole year mm-hmm. because of COVID. And COVID is really um, rampant in Mexico right now. So we're hoping that the vaccination will get to everyone and we can go back and do our work and help the sisters and the children. Um, because I think the need is going to be even greater after COVID because so many people, Mexico has a 10% death rate. Oh boy. So there's going to be more children yeah. that are are in need of help and are orphans and have been left orphans and whose parents have no job. They have no way to support yeah. their, their families if they have any parents left. <laughs> yeah. Well, you are a valuable human, Carolyn, <laughs> to a lot of people. And you always have a smile on your face. You know, maybe at home you're grumpy, but. Um, yeah. <laughs> don't tell my husband that. <laughs> I don't want him to think I'm grumpy. <laughs> But, you know, when we used to do things at the chamber, which was all the time, you were always there. And the amazing thing, like, you can't see, if you're listening to this, you cannot see Carolyn, but Carolyn is always dressed to the nines. Matching jewelry, (laughs) matching outfit, matching shoes, matching bag. Carolyn is a fashionista, and she's always extremely polished with the way that she looks. So, Carolyn, I mean, you, you just seem like you just, you've always got it together, and you're always very pleasant. Um. On a scale of one to 10, what would you say, where do you fall with your happiness? How happy of a person are you? Oh, probably an eight or nine. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. That's good. That's amazing, really, because you've got so much going, so much going on. And um, and the fact that you keep it all, like, what's your secret for keeping it all in the air, too? You seem to know everything and where you need to be and who you need to talk to. Just uh, doing a lot of reading, doing a lot of reading, informing myself, always learning, never stop learning, always learning something new, um, always looking into how can you improve, what can you do better, how can you make the world better, how can you make uh, your business better and other people's businesses better. I'm really in the business of making other people's businesses better. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like you're taking good care of your brain health too by doing all this as well. So that's good for you going forward. Yeah. Um, so do you have any advice for people about uh, maybe who want to keep doing the job that they've been doing instead of changing to something new? Do you have any suggestions? As long as they love what they're doing, I would keep doing it until they absolutely can't. But 
if they don't love what they're doing, there's always room to start a new, uh, a new passion or take on a new project or, and that also can increase yourself, your value, your self value, your self worth, your feeling that you're really contributing. So it doesn't always mean that because you've been doing something for a long time, if you're not happy with it, that you can't start something new and completely reinvent. And that's basically what I did through the great recession. I reinvented <laughs> and that was a hard time because I really, I blame myself for being in the position I was in because I kept thinking, why didn't I see this happening? Why didn't I see this coming? I should have seen this coming. And one of the things, one of the myths that I try to dispel with all my clients is that when you think that what's happening in the world can't possibly touch you, it can only affect big business. It's never going to trickle down to the small business. We cannot think that way any longer. We have to realize that what happens to big business is going to happen to small business as well. And we have to be just as prepared as the big business to, to survive whatever is happening and to pivot quickly and to rethink how we go forward just as much as a big business. So small businesses are not exempt from what, what is happening in the world. Is that and that, you do? Like if you have a client, it, it, are you able to see something that's coming, a trend and advise them? Yes. And, Yes. And that's why I started in 2000 to try to, you know, be a part of, of everything they were doing under a marketing uh, on their marketing and, and their branding and their advertising and their PR, because so many of those messages got um, just torn apart. They weren't the same and people couldn't really identify with what the message was because it was four different messages all in the same company. That doesn't work. <laughs> well, that's really interesting. Um, one thing that I'm finding fascinating about you while I'm talking to you is that there's a saying that the water rises to its own level. And it seems like you've had this theme somewhat in your life to cut back. I'm just going to do one job. I'm not going to have anything exciting, but you're <laughs> filling up whatever voids like you're like you're like trying to lower the tide but no that ocean just keeps coming back in and surging up and you seem to be meant to be a really busy person with a lot of balls in the air yeah I, the only reason i wanted to just have a job when i first got married is because i was trying to work on my marriage but that didn't happen for very long <laughs> i mean i still worked on my marriage but the the one job idea didn't work for very long yeah <laughs> well you've you've been married for a little and, while now so yeah, like 40 years, <laughs> 41 years, I guess. Years. Yeah, it seemed like that worked out okay. Yeah, that worked out okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a little while. <laughs> I'm not sure he'd find any other replacements either. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Well, I'd like to thank you for your time today. Um, you really are an inspiration in the way that you are not retiring, but retiring. You know, if you're out there and you're listening and you're thinking you want to start something new, Carolyn knows so much and, and clearly she has seen so much and so many changes and she knows the trends and she knows what's happening. And um, Carolyn is also a big proponent of cause-based marketing. And that's because you can see she's very passionate and she cares about a lot of causes and, and knows that that is very impactful to a company. And so that's, that's something that she can help you with as well. No matter what you're doing, she can help you add that flavor to your business. It's very helpful to your marketing, your bottom line. Yeah. 
I try to re- refer my clients to some kind of cause. And usually I try to relate it to the actual business because then it's even more helpful to the brand. So uh, I had a company who created and manufactured faucets. So my recommendation to her was to do something to help bring water to third world countries because that's what she did. Her faucets brought water to homes. So why not work on bringing water to third world countries because it was right up her alley. That's smart. (laughs) Yeah. So those kinds of things where you can actually relate the cause to what you're doing and you don't always have to do that, but certainly it helps. And anytime you can help another person, it helps you. That's true. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this has been Kim Shea, and I've been talking with Carolyn B. Ryan Miller of Carolyn B. Ryan Miller Public Relations. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Kim. You're a delight. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pivot and Thrive. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you know anybody who you think would be a great subject for this podcast, please have them contact me. They can go to my website, retirementpurposecoach.com. And at the bottom of that front page, there is a contact section and they can just reach me right there. I'd love to hear from them. I am a certified retirement coach. So if you need any help from me with your retirement so that you have your own success story, you can contact me there as well. I'd like to thank Bokuwa and Wizzy2K for the use of their song, Will You Stay With Me? I have the link to that song in the show notes. Have an excellent rest of your day, whatever it is that you're doing. I hope it's purposeful. You'll enjoy your life so much better if that's your focus. Bye for now.